I would like to once again tonight bless you for the contribution that all of you are making to this Bible school. I was very impressed with the careful organization and administration of this school, and someone has put a lot of thought into that and made it possible for this larger number of students to enjoy a well-organized and carefully planned week of study here. I appreciate your discipline during those course practices. That's not real easy to stand here for that long a time and follow directions and then try it again and you sing the first two words and the song is cut off and you're asked to start it again. And you know how those things are and they need to be. But I will tell you something, there's a one big difference between your chorus and where we live. You don't have as much sweat running down your backs when you're standing up here as what they do where we live. And if it takes discipline for you to do it here, it takes that much more there. And uh, we certainly appreciate the uh, respectful contribution that our students make there too. And I saw that among you here. Wouldn't it be a great thing if we could get this group of uh, singers and students together with those from the Institute in Costa Rica? I wonder what that would be like. And we'd have to try to decide what language we'd use to have the Bible school. And uh, it'd be my preference uh, that we try with a different tongue. But it was a blessing to be here, and we want to thank you for receiving us into your Bible school, my wife and I here, and for this community and for the contribution you've made to us and, and for hosting this Bible school here in, in this community. God bless the dear people here locally that have really invested a lot. And I know enough about Bible schools to know what it takes to uh, provide the food and the lodging and the uh, administration for so large a group. Uh, something has been very, very well done here. And uh, you, you thank God for your Bible school, and you thank these dear people that have provided it. And thank your parents for rearranging things at home so that you could be here. And uh, maybe other brothers and sisters that took part of your responsibilities wherever you might have been. So we have a lot to be thankful for. God has been with us these days. Yeah, I would just like to pause for a moment and have a prayer. I know we just did pray here, but there's several things that are on my heart that I think I should pray about, and so if you would just bow your heads there. Another Father, we have a special message here tonight, and we are not capable of sharing the deep thoughts and the beautiful truths that you have designed and desired for this group to hear tonight, for all of us to understand. I pray that you give us understanding beyond our ability. I pray that you would give us hearts that can discern what someone does not have the ability to express. That we can sitting here and hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches through the word of the Lord, even though someone was not capable of expressing it like it should be. There are beautiful things here, dear Father. I pray the beauty of this teaching, the beauty of our Christ, which be shown shining forth in this place tonight. And from this, from this assembly that would rise up a testimony of light and truth. So no one would need to walk in darkness, but to have the light of life. I pray that you give us the strength we need tonight. Make these things clear to these dear people. And Father, we ask for one more thing, that the fruit of it would come forth from our lives. Oh God, because the Lamb is worthy, and we want to glorify your name. And so with us tonight, this, as we are together here worshiping you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Like Christ. Now, that's not the title of the message. But like Christ. 
And every time you read your Bible and find in that Bible a phrase that says, as Christ did. Or if Jesus himself is speaking, he says, as I did. Or as I am. Every time you find those phrases in the Bible, it is God's will that that be our way of living. That we do it that way. That as Christ did it, we did it. We do it. What we see in Christ is what others see in us. Because Christ is not here now. That's why you're called Christians. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Christ was not there. But Christ is the anointed one. And those Christians at Antioch were the anointed ones. And they could tell that the youngest of God was upon them. And they called them Christians there. And that's what we are today. And Christ is not in Kelowna, Iowa, nor is he in Griswold, nor is he in Sugar Creek. But you and I are here, like Christ. And they don't see Christ, they, they see something that's like Christ, and as Christ was, and as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. Those like Christ passages are so very important in the Bible, and I want to look at one of those tonight. Colossians chapter 3. And then we'll find a title here, we'll find a theme and a title here in this text. In Colossians 3, this, this title was, was given for this evening's service. They asked me to speak on forgiveness. I changed the title a little bit and called it The Miracle of Forgiveness. If you're writing notes down, you want to put that for a title. The Miracle of Forgiveness in the text is Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13, which we will read. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. It's interesting that that's the first thing he says. Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. If you just look at those words, every one of these words would heal broken relationships. Every one of these words would heal the hurting. Every one of these words is what it takes in the congregation to heal the problems that are all around us and minister to the needs of people that are suffering. Bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness. And people that are struggling and hurting, they, they take a lot of long suffering. You suffer long working with people like that. They can tax you to the limit. Long suffering. Love suffers long and is kind. That's 1 Corinthians 13 language. We have it here as Paul says it to the Colossians in chapter 3. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye, as Christ did. As Christ did, you do. You see that in that verse 13. As Christ, that's the measure. That is the measure in the nature of the Christian life, like Christ. A Christian is one who lives like Christ in spirit and nature. And lives this way in all areas as Christ did it in all areas. Now, I'm going to, uh, since this is a Bible school week and a Bible school students, you should always have questions that take the students to, uh, they have to get a stepladder, stand on top of it, and get on the top rung and reach high in order to find the answer. You should do something to stretch them. Their, their, their minds, their spiritual minds should grow. You should give them something that just tacks them a little bit. Their, uh, their upper attic there and clean some of those cobwebs out and get something in there that uh, makes, makes them work for their living. So I'm going to give you a question from this, these verses. You ready for that? You like challenges, don't you? 
If we are to forgive others like Christ forgave us, is that synonymous with works religion? Does then our salvation depend upon our works? Does then what we do in the Christian life to maintain a walk with God, does that depend upon our performance? Is this passage teaching us here that if we don't do it like Christ did it, we're finished? And is this telling us that we cannot have security of salvation in Christ because if we stumble and fall and make a mistake, it's over? I'm putting the same question in several ways. But what are you thinking? And the reason for this, why he's saying that in all ways, and I said this evening, in all ways we live as Christ lived. The reason for this is the following, that we have the Spirit of the Son sent forth into our hearts. If we would make a list of all the as Christ, like Christ texts that are in the Bible, and there are quite a few of them in John 13, 14, 15, and 16, and 17. In those five chapters of the book of John, there are quite a few of those. You could read those five chapters and write down a, a nice list of the like Christ, as Christ, as I did, you should do. Phrases are in there. And there are others in the Bible like this one that we're just reading now. If you make a list of all those texts, get them all together, that we have the New Testament, we will begin to see the quality of life that flows as a river of living water from our own hearts. And we have a text like that right here in front of us. As Christ forgave you. And this then becomes the standard for our forgiving of others. And it is not a legal matter. Now listen closely. It is not some level of achievement that we must attain to. It's not something we must uh, lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps and be sure that we've accomplished this. It's not a checklist. You can't take your pencil and take that list of as Christ, as Christ, as Christ teachings like Christ as I did, you can't make that list, then go down through your day and check them off and say, I did number one, I have three to go. It's not a human effort. It's the life of Christ being lived in the soul of man. We have received Christ into our hearts. We cry, Abba, Father. We know him. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're sons of God. We've been born into his family. We have been made partakers of the divine nature. We are not the same as we were. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We have been renewed in the spirit of our mind. Amen. We've been born again by the spirit of the living God. You've got Christ living in you. And the person that believes that and can believe that can believe it 24-7 lives differently than the person that forgot all about it. He picked it up and remembered when he grabbed his Bible on the way out to the car on Wednesday night to go to church. He remembered he's a Christian. He remembers a Sunday morning, Saturday night, studying a Sunday school lesson. It's different the person that thinks about that at all times. I have Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm not the same as I was. There's a living, there's a living person in my heart. There's a spirit of God here in, in me. And, and I can live as Christ lived, and not because I'm making it up, trying to imitate it, try, try, trying to be a parrot, and quoting the language I hear someone speaking in the house. I'm here in the cage, and I memorize those phrases, and so I'm saying like a, like a, like a parrot, like, like a Laura, if you speak that language. It's not that. It's a flow that comes because Christ is here. And we would forgive like Christ forgave if, the, if Christ was in here doing it. 
If, we, if the life we now live in the flesh, we were living by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us, we would do it as Christ did it. And here's the thing I want you to do, young people, and all of you that are listening. You have the right every day to believe. I can, right now, in this moment, respond, act, live, as Christ would do. I can respond to this situation as Christ would respond. I have that power in my life. I am that close to God. I have that access to the Father. I have that stream of living water. I have that connection with the three-phase current, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost that comes to my life from heaven. The person who believes that, and the world lives by that faith, has a different response in life than the person who is caught off guard and depends upon his discipline or his practice or his understanding to know how to respond in life. Rather than by the life that you have, the life that you and I have. I said it's not some legal matter. It's not some level of achievement that we must attain. That would be attempted righteousness. Man trying to make himself holy. Being justified by the works of the law. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not what Paul says here. That is not what we're viewing here tonight. Rather, it is what the saving life of Christ abiding in us, and we in Him, does as we live by the faith of the Son of God. A Christian lives as Christ lived because Christ daily lives here. Christ daily lives in us. Christ continually lives in us. And we forget about that. And when we forget about it, we move from the spirit to the flesh. We move to light, to, to self-effort. And a great change comes then. Christ daily lives in us. We love one another as Christ loved us. Why? Because it's just a, it's, it's a beautiful thing to love others. Christ loves us. We love others the same way. Yes, we obey. But it is true that the obedient Christ is forever with us and within us. And I'll just show you that in John 15. Yes, we obey. Yes, faith obeys. Yes, by faith Abraham obeyed. Yes, faith always obeys. But look at these verses in John 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You see, that's what He did, that's what we do. As I did, as I have kept my Father's commandments. Ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept. That's what you do it. And abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. There are two of those as I have, as I do, statements in just three verses. Did you see them there? The miracle happens when we believe He will even now do in us what He alone is able to do. And believe it. And because we believe it, we yield ourselves to it because we believe it. Christ can do it. In the midst of the most extenuating circumstance that you've ever had in your life, we talked about hurts last night and what I'm doing tonight so that you understand this as we're finishing the message last night. We, we never got that message finished last night, and I won't finish it tonight either, but, but without tonight's message, we certainly did not complete last evening. We have to have tonight's message. And so those two are going together, and so it's one message. If you listened to last night's, please listen to tonight's and, and, uh, and vice versa. The, the two subjects go together. And what we're trying to do is heal the, the, the hurting situations we have in our hearts. And difficult things have happened. But difficult things happen to Jesus. I don't know, I shouldn't take time for these stories. 
Is that true what that says there? But we were away for a few days to ask a dear young man to stay at our house and take care of some chores we had there, and he was very, very willing to do it. Single young man, beautiful young man, a high-quality young person. And we had in our community there a young mother. She probably was a mother from the time she was either 14 or 15 years old. She never had a youth a, a time of youth in her life. She never had an opportunity to go to youth meetings or be part of a youth group. She went from being a child to being a mother. She had some difficulties in her life, and so it was that, unknown to her husband, she crept out of the house during the night and went over to the house where, where we lived and where this young man was staying because she knew that he was there alone. And she tried to break into that house, get in there and be in there with him. And he discovered something was going on and closed everything up tight, made sure that the doors were locked because he sensed that something was going on outside. And she waited outside close to the house, up against the building there all night long. He didn't know it. He went to bed at 6 o'clock in the morning. He'd get up to go out and just do chores. And she waited until the door to get out. When he was out in the, in, the, in the chicken house, she crept in the house and, and locked herself inside or was inside there. And when he came in, she was in there. And she had intentions. And if I tell you all that happened after that, it would be a, quite, quite an awful story. But the part I'm trying to get to is this, that her husband, when he found out about it, told me, he said, Dale, I'm done. I can't handle it. I can't, it's, it's the last time. It's the last straw. This is the end of our marriage. It's the end of it. And he was a member of the congregation. Spanish fella. His wife was too, a Latin girl. She was a twin. Can't have any more of it. Finish with it. Write me off. I'm done. I can't handle this woman. And he went on and on, and I left him to talk for a while. And he was wronged. She violated their vows. She was out of place. She was in sin. She was wrong. I said, Juancito, I want you to come with me. I want you to lay your hand down there in that block of wood. Has your wife given any spikes through that hand? He said, no. I said, did you drive any nails through your feet? He said, no. Did your wife hang you up on a cross so that you hang there for six hours with nothing to drink and no one to clean the flies away from your face? And that you hang there where you cannot breathe and hardly talk? Did your wife do that to you? And he said, no. I said, did your wife put a crown of thorns on your head? Did she beat you and rip this beard off of your face? He said, no. I said, can you think of any reason why you can't forgive your wife? He started crying and shake. He started to tremble. He said, I'm sorry, Dale. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. And you've had difficult things in your lives, but you haven't had that. Hard things have happened to you, but that hasn't happened. And our Lord Jesus has shown you that it's possible by his life and, and long-suffering and mercy and humility and, and, and endless love, love that never fails. He has proven to you what can be done in facing these things of life. And he showed us that, but that's not all. He didn't, just, he didn't just simply show us that and run off. He comes and offers us to live that life in us. That very life is what he offers to live in us. And that's why it's possible to heal every difficult and hurtful circumstance that has ever happened in the human family because Christ will never ask you to heal it alone. And he's coming to offer to take care of it for you and walk, walk, walk with you in it. 
and give you the life and the healing and the, look at these words here, this humble mind, this beautiful, this beautiful list to make it possible. This is what we have in Christ. Romans chapter 5. We have a couple of verses tonight. I hope you don't mind that. You've got Bibles there, don't you? Romans chapter 5, verse 10. The saving life of Christ. If then when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Why? Because his life is here. His life is for us. There's now newness of life. We were buried with him in baptism. We, 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 we were... We put to death this old man. We put to death this selfish nature. We had that the first night here. But we, raised, we were raised together in newness of life. We were saved by his endless life, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 7. His endless life. We're saved by that. That's, that's where righteousness or righteous obedience happens. And that's what the law of faith is all about. You're in chapter 5 there. Back to chapter 3, verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. What is the law of faith? The, the law of faith is not Sinai. The law of faith is not number 10, number 6 of the Sinai commandments. The, 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 law, of, the law of faith is, is more a principle. It's, it's more like this, the law of gravity. What is the law of faith? The law of faith is that if I believe that the life of Christ is right now in me, working, using me, speaking, understanding things, looking at people, seeing them as he sees them. And I believe that. In my faith, I'm living that way. And I want to exemplify that. My heart's true desire with all my weakness and limitation is to treat somebody as Christ would treat them. The law of faith is this, that Christ takes over at that moment. And his saving life is here. And I know those are difficult things for us to grasp, to reach and believe that. It's, it, it, it takes much meditation to truly believe that that can happen to my life. We don't make that acquaintance with God in a hurry. We, we cannot just rapidly scurry through a, a sermon, scurry through a devotional, and come to those conclusions. We must walk with Him and live with Him and spend time in prayer with Him and to the place where we believe it, that right now Christ wants to live life in me. And when we take that choice, the law of faith says, righteousness every time. I told you the other night, on Tuesday night, faith can do no sin. It will be the righteous result of Christ's holiness in our lives every time. And we choose to do it that way. And so this thing happened to us. It's, it's, it's a terrible thing. I don't know what is happening in your life. I can tell you many things that have happened to me. And we can respond to those things in two ways. Become, just feed on it. And, and look at the hurt that it caused. And become bitter about it. And become upset at our parents. And upset at the preachers. And upset at the church. And go out and do a very, very strange and wrong thing. And damage our children as we're doing it because we can't fit into the new place either. I told you. When we put it in the moving van, we unload it at the next place. But we do something else. We respond to that as Christ did. It's an entirely different thing when that happens. That's what we're reading about here in these verses. Chapter 4 of Romans. Verses 17 and onward. As it is written. I'm just reading various passages here that Talk about what I'm saying to you. I have made thee a father of many nations, speaking of Abraham, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. I'm going to pause here to say something before I read the 18th verse. And listen today. Please listen. Try to, try to understand this. I know you're tired. You've had a whole week of it. The day's been long. And you're looking forward to activities tomorrow. The reason why. 
You can accept every wrong thing that has ever happened to you. The reason why you can accept a slap that your mother put across your face when she never should have done it, you can accept an, an angry father that took some kind of who knows what and, and beat on you when it was not necessary, it should never be done, it was done improperly. The reason why you can take a robbery that someone comes into your house and rips that stuff out of there that you so much longed for and worked for and it belongs to you, it's gone. The reason why you accept it. But somebody else in the youth group was over there whispering, you found out they were talking about you. And, and when you learned what they said, it was, it was a devastating blow to you. And the list goes on and on and on. And the reason why you can stand every one of those things and when you're in Christ is this. Because God is here. And you are God's. And God is not finished with that situation. That's where it is today. But God is at work and you haven't seen the end of it yet. But you believe God. And you trust Him. And, and, and you hold on to His hand tightly. And you say, don't let me go. And you say, don't let me sin here. And Joseph had no idea what was going to happen when those Israelites took him on his camels down there and, 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 and had that... 20, no, they were, they were missing those 20 pieces of silver. The boys had that back home, but they were going to earn more than that down in Egypt. And Joseph had no idea what was going to happen to him when he was sold in the slave block to Potiphar. He had no idea what was going to happen when she said, come in here, we're all by ourselves today. No one else is in the house. He's gone away for the, on business. He took the checkbook along. He won't be back. He had no idea what was going to happen when he left his coat behind. He had no idea what was going to happen when he was in that jail for several years. He had no idea what was going to happen. Everything that happened to him was wrong, and it was wrong, and it was wrong. But wait a minute. If you read that passage again, go back and read that same, same number of chapters. Read them again. And instead of looking at all the wrongs that were done to Joseph, everything that was unfair, everything that never should have been said, all the money that never should have been exchanged, all the things that were done against him, go back and read those same chapters again and look at something else. And look at what God did every time. Every time, every time, what God did. Every time, every time, and every time. And because we believe that God, and because we know that God, although we don't know the results, any better than Joseph do the results, but because we know that God, we say, yes, Lord. We say, I don't know what you're doing, but yes, Lord. We say, this is way beyond me, yes, Lord. And, and healing comes there. Healing starts there. That's a beautiful way to find healing. Though we don't see it. And I will tell you something else. You just stay in that posture before God. And let the life of Christ, the river of Christ, the, the spirit of Christ come forth from your life. As Stephen did when they took him and shook him and turned him upside down. And the only thing that came out was the Holy Ghost. Because that's all that was in him. You just let them do that to you. And I will assure you. I can't tell if it's going to be a week or a year, or five years, but you will see what God was doing that whole time if yielded to the Lord, if surrendered to His will, if given over to His holy purposes that we, you and I can understand, but all things work together for good. And Joseph found that out, and his five bro ten brothers found that out, and his father found that out, and Pharaoh found that out. Now things work together for good when we yield to God. And how do you, what do you expect God's going to do with a young man, a young lady? It says, I am thine, O Lord, and all that I have. It says, I surrender everything to you. And this difficult thing that I can't understand belongs to you right now. I just, just keep my spirit in check. Just keep me under control. Just hold me by thy free spirit. Do not allow me to be in the flesh. Give me gracious words. Teach me to be silent. Teach me to not respond. 
That's the law of faith. When we respond that way, only righteousness results. That's the law of faith. That's what he's talking about here. The law of faith is that. What we see in Abraham, what we see in Joseph, we see in the heroes of faith in chapter 11, Hebrews. That's the law of faith. So we have several points tonight. Let's look at the first one. The Bible, that is, especially the New Testament, is replete with teachings on forgiveness. And I want to show you some of those teachings in the Bible. We'll just look at them briefly because we, we, we just want to lay a little groundwork here to find out just what this forgiveness is. It is the act of God in Christ. Forgiveness is His work. Forgiveness is not ours. I can't take someone's sins and drown them in the depths of the sea. I can't take the sins out of someone's life. I, I can't walk up to that lady who was dragged in there to the temple. And she, they said to her, she said to Christ, this woman was taken into in adultery. Chapter 8. And at the end of that, that verse ended, that passage ended in verse 11. And our brother Larry read tonight verse 12. And they dragged her in there and they said, she ought to be stoned. And that's for, what are you going to do with that woman's adultery? What do you plan to do with the adultery? Of course, the adultery affects more than one person. The adultery affects God. The adultery affects mankind. The adultery affects families. The adultery affects the testimony of the community, the church. In this case, it was Israel. Or the part of the synagogue that she was supposed to be part of. I don't know how that was there. But adultery affects it. So we have this terrible thing. We have this, this big blotch of the church's testimony. We have this big blotch of a person's life. We have this great hindrance to spiritual, to, to spiritual vitality. Adultery. Life dies. It's, 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 it's a death. Adultery. What are you going to do with it? God can deal with that. You and I can't. Forgiveness is an act of God. And when we forgive someone, we may be more effective. We may be doing more to heal ourselves than to heal the person we're forgiving. And God will take care of both of them. God will take care of both you and I, both, both uh, myself and the person I'm forgiving. But I want to look at some of these verses tonight. Forgiveness is the expression of His mercy. Forgiveness is the very nature of God. It's one of His holy attributes. To be a forgiving and a merciful Father. Let's go to Matthew 4, 6. We'll start there. We can start in the Old Testament. We'll start here this time. Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, verse 9. Lord's Prayer. After this manner, therefore, pray ye the miracle of forgiveness. Keep that in mind. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We believe that. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see, that's reciprocal in verse 12. We're, we're both receiving it and doing it. Someone's, someone's forgiving us and we're forgiving someone else. And we're telling God to do it in that reciprocal basis. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And of all those beautiful things he said in that prayer, he, he goes back to verse 12 and says something else here in verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The condition set forth here. There's a condition here. Listen to this condition. This condition is a test of our sonship. As your father did. As your father does. That's what your father will do. That's what your heavenly father does. And if you don't do it as your heavenly father does, 
we, we just proved what our relationship with the Father is. There's, something happened with sonship. Your Heavenly Father will do it. We're, we're children of God. We have His nature. We have His Spirit. We, we want human relationships to be cleared up. We want human, the, human, the, the, the person in front of us to be free and clear and vital and vibrant before the Lord like we want to be. And God wants it to be that way. And we have the same spirit that God has towards that person. And they did wrong. And when I say, don't, when I, say I won't forgive, and I won't say those words, there's hardly anybody will say that. I have heard people say it. Very few people say they will not forgive. They don't forgive, but they don't say they won't. But when I'm not willing to forgive somebody, what I'm saying is, stay there. It's trapped in that sin. Live with it. Let it damage you and destroy you and damn you and take you to eternity that way. I'm not going to do anything to absolve you. You stay right there. You have to simply carry that with you, that increasing burden upon your heart. I will not free you of it. That's what we're saying. God does not do that. How can I do that and be a son of God? How can I do that and have the nature of the Lord? How can I do that and be filled with the Spirit of God? How can I do that and be one with the Father as Christ was one with the Father? It's a test of sonship. The condition in that verse is a test of sonship. Chapter 18, Matthew. Verses 21 through 35. And then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. So when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him that owed him ten thousand talents. Now in case you don't know it, that's a lot of money. It's millions of dollars, and I'm not going to do the math up here tonight. But it's, it's at least twelve million dollars or more. And, and probably since the time that that comparison was made, it would probably be closer to twenty-five million or more than that. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Which was probably not quite the truth, but that's, he was caught and he was trapped. He didn't know what else to say. And he's, got, he's going to lose everything he has here, and he's going to see his children go into slavery, and he can't stand that. And so he is making this last appeal. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. That's a tremendous debt to be forgiven. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. And, and some time ago that was around $50. And I don't know what it is today. But certainly a small amount of money compared with the millions that we were looking at before. He lays hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And in this case, that, that person would have had the possibility, it would have been within his grasp, opportunity to pay that. And he would not. But when he cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. Now, how he's going to pay it in prison, you, you tell me that. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. That's a serious indictment against a person that has these hurts in his life. 
Because someone has done wrong and they will not release it. They will not forgive it. They will hold on to that and will not let it go. When the debt that we owe is so much greater than what anyone has ever done to us. A comment on these verses. It's a very, very sad and sobering account here. And for the wicked servant that was cast into prison the second time, it, it virtually constitutes an unpardonable sin because he can't get out of it and there's no hope for him. There, there's no way he can redeem himself. He will not get out of this situation. He is in there. And he would not have had to be. That the freedom for his release was all there. Why don't we transfer this? Why don't we take the gift of God? And, and I think one of our problems is this. I'm sorry, but I'm going to just, this just comes from my heart to you. I'm afraid of one of the reasons why. We're so reluctant to release the other person and just let, forget it, forget it, and forgive it and let it go. And we, we hold into this and we tenaciously keep this in guard. This and look over it and care for it and, nur and nurture it as if it was some little brainchild. The reason we do that is because we don't realize. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. We forget about it. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. We forget about it. We don't realize the great debt from which we were released. We have no idea of the sin that we have done. You say to me, Dale, I was a good boy. I was a good girl. I, I, I came to Christ when I was 12 years old. I, I never was rebellious. I never did, I did anything wrong. Well, bless your heart. I'm glad for your beautiful life. I'm glad for your freedom and your innocence. I'm glad that you didn't have a lot of wild oats to sow and have a bad testimony out there in that world. Well, let me tell you something. You and I have no idea what Christ saved us from. You and I have no idea the cost of our salvation. You and I don't know are you listening tonight? You came to Christ when you were very, very young. You had a godly home. Your daddy led you to Christ when you were nine years old. You were baptized before you were ten. All you need to do to get a little idea of what Christ saved you from is open up your eyes and look out the window. And look at those girls out there in town. And look how they're living. Look how they're dressed. Look at their testimony. And I will tell you something. Christ saved you from all of that. And not only that, he saved you from all the context you would have had, and all the bad words you would have said that go floating on from person to person and county to county and state to state and from continent to continent. And the testimony influence of your life is going out there doing damage and damage and damage and damage. And whereas one day one person was affected by your sin, today 2,000 people are affected by it. And you were saved from all of that. When Christ saved you, he saved you from all that, forgave you from all that, knew all that that was going on, all that possibility, and all those things that are still going on. Some of us did so. It's out there yet today, going and going and going. I remember yet the first person I ever took to a movie theater. He had never been in one before. So he goes, well, me, we're going to a movie theater, and I'm not going to tell you what kind of movie we went to see. You don't need to do that anymore. Nowadays, you can do that on your cell phone. You don't need to go to the movie theater. It was the first time he went. And I remember what we did before we walked in the building. We did that right there. If you're looking here, you can't see it on a tape, but you can, you can see it if you're in that audience. And we, looked, we did that, and we went in that theater. So years went by. The Lord forgave me about that, what I did there, and many, many such like things. The Lord forgave that. 
But that boy's name was Fred. And years went by. Now, now Vermont, now Pennsylvania, now Tennessee, now Costa Rica, and now a tent set up in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. And now 1,500 people or more in a tent meeting. And now a sermon is on a Sunday night. And now this thing dismissed. And so we stepped on off this platform. And a big man, ball-headed, <laughs> Dale, <laughs> yeah, Dale, do you remember Dale? <laughs> Dale, do you remember? <laughs> I said, is it true? Is, is it Fred? Yeah, Dale. It's been a long time, Dale. It's, it's, been, it's been a long time. Fred, tell me. How's it, how's it going, Fred? Yeah, well, uh, and the story, and the divorces, and the children, and the life, and the wreck, and the ruin. And you're sitting here tonight, some of you have the same story. You're sitting here tonight, when Christ saved us and forgave us, it's a whole thing. That whole list, that all that darkness, all that death. And tell me, what would happen if we wouldn't be forgiven? And tell me what would happen if we'd have to come before the judge of all the earth who does right. Have to bring all that along with us. We have no idea where that has gone. We have no idea the extent of that influence. We have no idea how that thing has been carried out in life. I've had a chance to see just a little bit. And all that's before us, and all that darkness. And no one can pay it. And only one person can pay it. Only one person can do anything to deal with it. Only one person can take care of it. Only one person can redeem it. Only one. And I don't take, I don't accept the offer. And then how about if I, after having been freed from all of that, and I have no idea how much, then I refuse in one of my fellow servants to free him of the wrongs that he has done. I can't trust God to work this out in my life for his own glory. Mark 11 That's the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. Wherefore I say unto you, whatsoever things ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Here's a condition for answered prayer. I want to just remind you of one thing. That Jesus prayed several times while he was on the cross. But the very first of those prayers was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I would just think about that in light of this passage. Father, forgive them. When you stand praying, forgive. One time I had a young man in the congregation that uh, got involved with another lady in the community. And as a result of that, his own wife found out about it. She packed up their, her things that she could and found a vehicle and left him with a note in the house and went back to the state where she was from to live with her parents and left that young man with his devastated and Vida fracasada, with his life all messed up. She left him there. And uh, we decided as a congregation we will have special prayer. And so we gathered together a certain time in a house. And there were several, quite a few people came together there. And so the sisters were going to pray out here in the living room. 
And all the men were going to go get in the bedroom and pray in there, and we all got, knelt around the bed. There was a line of men the whole way around the bed. And we're going to pay for this young man and for the sin that he did, and that God would deal with him, that God would help him, that God would speak to his heart, that God would work with him. And something very, very beautiful happened in that prayer meeting. First man to pray was Dennis. I remember the prayer very well. I remember the time when it happened and where it was and who it was. When Dennis knew sinners started praying, they started crying. And what he started doing was he started listing before God all the sins of his life and the things he was doing wrong and where he was out of order and, and what he may have done to contribute to this other man's difficulty and his testimony in the church that he just was going through this thing and he was weeping and pouring out to God his needs. And when it was all said and done, he had not remembered to pray for the other man at all and went to the second person. That person did the same thing, went the whole way around the bed. And no one prayed for the person that we went to pray for. Everyone was confessing their sins and sorry before God for the deeds in their own lives. Sunday morning came. We had a service on Sunday morning. Following that prayer meeting, I heard a noise right toward the end of the service. I looked over here, and, and, and here comes someone down the aisle, kind of stumbling, kind of shoddy coming down the aisle. It was the man we had gathered to pray for. He came up here to the front and fell down here on a heap in front of the pulpit. So we, we gathered around there and prayed again. You see, when we stand praying, forgive. But you cannot think too very long about others that need forgiveness. You can't think of too many examples of others that we ought to be forgiving before you soon find out. But probably somebody is somewhere place, someplace praying, asking God to forgive you. Because you see, we're needy too. We already had that verse. In many things we offend all. And many times we stick that sapling out of someone's feet and trip them up. Luke 17. Verses 3 to 5. Take heed to yourselves, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. And that's exactly what it takes. It takes faith. And faith is a choice. Either live with the offense, or allow the grace of God in your life to forgive it. I read to you from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John does not have the word forgiveness any time in, uh, in his gospel. But he writes about it several times in, his, in the first epistle of John. It's not found once in the book of Revelation. But I would like to turn yet to Ephesians 4. If you would please yet do that. And look at verses 31 and 32, and, and, and we have to look at these two verses in reference to healing the hurting people that are around us and the hurts we have in our hearts. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Instead of all that, do the opposite. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. What is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? What is God doing when He forgives us? What happens when we forgive others? The verb in Greek means to send forth or to send away. That's the verb. The noun, forgiveness, that was forgiving or forgive. The noun, forgiveness, in English means 
freedom, deliverance, the grace granted to another, to grant as a favor to another person. So we are set free. In forgiveness, we are set free. And we are set free because we cannot free ourselves. Something is sent forth from us that would otherwise not be we would not be delivered from. But someone takes that and sends it forth from us. Something that holds us in its own weight and a guilt and, and a responsibility that we cannot get past it, cannot get rid of it, and it just hangs on us. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And we can't get free from it. And someone frees us from that and, and sends it away. That's what forgiveness is doing. Would we be able to redeem ourselves? Would we be able to redeem ourselves? No need of forgiveness then. If I could take care of it myself, no need to be forgiven. If I had the power, the ability, the strength, the who knows what, capacity, I wouldn't need to be forgiven, but I can't do it. I don't know if I should say this because this is being recorded, so I'm not sure if I should say it. But the day that our son drowned in Costa Rica, the son, the oldest son of the landowner of that property where that lake was, it was the oldest son in that family that asked one of the employees of his father's farm to go out there and work on that island. Our second son volunteered to go out and do it. He never came back. He died between the shore and the island. When we were called upon the scene and came there, there was this son. This son was in terrible shape. This son was unable to, to, to live with himself. This son was in terrible shape. There was nothing he could do to bring that life back. You do all you want to do. You say all you want to say. Pay all the money you want to pay. You can't do it. There's only one answer. You understand that? And now 27 and a half years later. And now 27 and one half years later, we just heard last week that some of that weight is still there. Some of that struggle is still there. As soon as I get a chance, I will do what I can to minister to that dear man. We can do nothing about it. If we could do something about it, we wouldn't need forgiveness. We can't do anything about it. Listen to people. That's the way the people are that did wrong things to us. They can't do anything about it. They can't change it. There's only one answer for it. This was the very point that Jesus was making in Simon's house when he was in there having a meal. And this lady, this street girl, came off the, out, of, out of the town and came in there and found Jesus in there and then knelt down there. And she poured her tears on his feet. You remember that story in chapter 7, Luke? And this is the point that Jesus was making there to Simon. The sinful woman knew she could do nothing about her sin and her guilt. She knew she was stuck. Simon had other ideas. He felt differently about himself. He felt that he was in pretty good shape. He felt this woman here shouldn't be around town. She should be getting out of here. If this man was a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman's touching him here. Get her out of here. This off falls of society, this... this this wretched refuse of the teeming shore, send these. It reminds me of the two men that went to the temple to pray, and one was a Pharisee and one was a publican. The one said, you know, Lord, <laughs> I've got things in pretty good shape. 
I'm kind of a bargain piece, you know. You glad you got me on your team, don't you? And the other fellow, he, he couldn't do that. He couldn't even look up. He, he smote himself, and he, he knew that he was done, and he knew he couldn't. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And just look at those two attitudes. In light of what we're hearing tonight, look at those two attitudes. And you and I tonight are either one or the other. And when I cannot forgive the person who's done me wrong, when I cannot forgive those hurts that have come to my life, when I cannot trust God to turn those ashes into beauty and, and give me a song in my heart for, those, for that heaviness, I cannot trust God to do that. I'm like that Pharisee was. I'm glad I'm not like this publican over here. All these people have done all this wrong stuff to me. I'm glad, dear God, I, don't, I never do that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We haven't lived very close to God yet, if that's how we're feeling. One who feels he can earn it will not plead for the mercy of God, nor does he need God's love. He can do fine without it. In forgiveness, God takes the, first, the full cost, the weight, the consequence of my sin, and I go away as if I had not done it. I cannot repay. The debt is great. I must go to Calvary to see what my sin has cost and there find the value of the forgiveness that Christ offers me. And this sending forth, sending forth is as far as the east is from the west and takes the sins to the depth of the sea. We have those passages in Psalm 103 and in, and in the book of Hosea. These very, very, Mike, excuse me, these very, very beautiful passages. And there God remembers them no more. It's, it's, it's interesting how that is. God, what kind of God is that? I told somebody that. I think it was last week. I don't think it was this week. If I was this week, then I'm sorry. But I think it was last week. But I remember what it's like to have teachers, parents come to the PTA meeting in the school. And we have an evening there and a little topic was some kind there. And then we come into the classrooms each Parent comes into the child's classroom and there's their desk and there they have a little model that they made and they have some artwork that they did and they have some of their lessons out there and some of the recent tests they took and they're on the desk. Each parent can take a look at that. The parents come in and kind of walk around and, and over here's a father and mother and they're kind of a little bit shy and uh, you see that they're, they want to say something but don't know quite what to say and, and so you invite them to come in and here's your child's room and just come on in here and make yourself at home and they, they finally stumble out with this. Well, uh, Brother Dale, we just a little concerned because uh, we, we, we heard that our Jeffrey had a problem in school last week, and, and he, was, he had to be punished, and, and we just wondered, that we, we just kind of feel bad, and we are sorry that our son, uh, what did what'd you say, what'd you say happened to Jeffrey? Well, well we, we heard that things were going very well in school, and and I didn't remember it. Do you know why I didn't remember it? Because it was taken care of, and all is well, and Jeffrey is free. It's a beautiful boy, and we have him back, it, back to our hearts again. And it's going very, very well, and we're glad for Jeffrey. And we, we're not thinking about the fact that, and I'm Jeffrey. You want to see Jeffrey? Here's Jeffrey. You know what? We have more Jeffreys in here. And we have a God in heaven who takes care of things in our lives that Jeffrey can't take care of. And he doesn't run around reminding us of it. You know, when Jesus came off that cross, he came out of that tomb. You know, he could have in his glorified body stepped up to Mr. Pilate's house. 
and knocked on the door. Don't you think we have a few things to talk over here? There was a centurion involved. There were soldiers. There was a high priest. It was a pretty serious business. Never a word was said. And yet, the evidences, dear my dear people, the evidences. I'm sorry, but the evidences. And nothing said. The only reason he ever brought that up was to help one of his disciples who was weak on faith to believe what he otherwise said he would not be able to accept. And Jesus said, why? You, you may look, Thomas, and see how you feel about that. My, my Lord and my God. And we hear nothing else about it. That's forgiveness. But Jesus was on the cross doing something. Something very, very holy was happening there, and that holy thing happened. That holy thing was accomplished. That holy thing took place. That holy thing was achieved. And the, and the plan of God was satisfied, and it is finished. And into thy hands I commend my spirit. And I hear you ask tonight, if that's all true, if forgiveness does that, if that's what happens to my sin, if God so deals with me in that way, if God is so righteous, and if God drowns that thing in the sea and puts it from the east to the west, then tell me, Dale, why do I keep sinning time and time again? Where is victory then? Well, my dear heart, God forgives the sin, but we must crucify the flesh that caused the sin to happen and bring it to death. But you say, I have been unable to do it. I know that's in the Bible. It's in Romans chapter 6. I know it's in there. I haven't done it. Get on your knees and beg God for the permission to be allowed to attend your own funeral. You get on your knees and you say, dear God, until I die, I stay before you with this holy petition. I bring it before you time and again. Bring into my life that experience which will so melt my heart and so break my heart and so surrender me to your will. I've seen this flesh in me die, and I cannot go on with this anymore. This must die in my life. And I give you the right, O oh God, to do anything in my life that you know it will take to bring me to that holy place of surrender. And then be, be sure two things. Be sure you mean what you say, and be sure that you accept it when it comes, because God will take you at your word if you're sincere. If you're playing the clown, God will do nothing. God knows sincerity. And there are those of us who experience just exactly what I'm talking about here. Ask others to pray for you. Give God every right to bring to you that complete surrender and death to self, and then reveal Christ to you and his offer of a holy life. A new faith puts forth its hand and receives this newness of life from our Lord. What is the miracle of forgiveness? That was the title. And with this, I want to close. And this is maybe the most important part. It is a miracle because it is the work of the grace and the mercy of God. It's a miracle because it's a transformation. It's a miracle because it's the creation of a new mind. When instead of holding grudges and holding the bitterness and holding the resentment and holding people accountable and waiting for God to judge them, and, and looking for that opportunity when someone will do them wrong, and then I say it served them right, and looking for, the, looking for some justice to come upon them, 
looking and hoping that some disaster takes place in their family, gloating over the fact that they had some misfortune in their lives. All the things that bitterness does to us, the malicious attitude that it creates in us and transforms that, transforms that. I want to bless you. I want to serve you. I want to free you. I want to love you. I need you as a brother in my heart. That's a miracle. It's a miracle only God can do. It's a creation of a new mind. It is, it is an exchange of sin for grace, for charis, the power to walk in newness of life. That's what grace is. It is a miracle because we are not only putting off something that is evil and defeating, we are receiving power to become the sons of God. We look two directions at this miracle. At the point of forgiveness, where these two hours come together at this point in time where there's forgiveness right here, and maybe in this case I'm the one being forgiven. Behind me, going this way, is repentance. I'm repenting of all this. All this that has brought me to here and all that I've done that brought me here. And the reason why it took so long to get here, we repent. And all my foolishness and resistance to God, repent. And all my exalting myself against the knowledge of God, I repent. And all the evil that's happened in my life until I came to this point, I repent. I'm wrong. I've been wrong all this time. I'm sorry, I'm wrong. But we're here. Repentance does that. But from here on, faith does something else. Faith takes us from here away. Faith looks ahead. Faith sees the, sees the Christ. Faith sees the cross. Faith sees the empty tomb. Faith sees the offer of God. Faith sees the promises. Faith hears the word of the Lord. Faith knows God. Faith looks forward to Christ working in my life. Faith accepts it. Faith moves into that direction. Faith walks with God. We leave this. We go here. We left this behind. We start this new life. We have repentance and we have faith. And that's why in the Bible sometimes those words look like they got mixed up in the conversion experience. But we're looking here. We're marching there. It's a miracle that happens at forgiveness. That's why we call it a miracle tonight. I want to go further. It's a miracle because it changes the consequences and guilt of the past. Deals with that. Sends it, sends it forth. Sends it afar. Sends it into the distance. We, we read those words to you. The Greek definition. Sends it out of here. Sends it on its way. It does that to the guilt. That would be enough if that's what it did. But that's not all it does. It also changes the future of our lives. We're not the same from here away. In forgiveness, God does not run up quickly, cancel the ill effects of our sin, and immediately run off again. The paracletos comes. The comforter comes. The Holy Ghost comes. And abides with us forever. And we have that teaching in 1 John chapter 2. It's so very beautiful. We, he abides in us and, and is there to live that life in us. And, and is always available to us. And 24-7 is for us. It's our advocate to be sure to, to give us the assurance that the Christ's life will be lived in the children of God. That's why Christ sent his advocate to us. His paracletos to us, the Holy Spirit to us. I'm going to give you two illustrations of this miracle. Let's talk about a debt. We had that illustration in the Bible in chapter 18. And Matthew, I'll use it for you. A debt that you cannot pay. It would be a great mercy... For you, if God would come and forgive that debt, remove that debt, send that debt away, put that debt to the east to the west, send that debt to the depth of the sea, that'd be nice if God would say, no debt. 
It'd be nice if God would say, wipe it out. That would be, that would be great if God would do that, but that's not all God does. I don't know how to explain this to you any better than this to, in a simple way to say this to you. I'm going, to give it, I'm going to use a phrase here and see if you catch it. God doesn't always say, okay, son, you messed it up. You lost it. You blew it. You ruined it. I'll forgive the debt. But then the father comes and puts a ring on the hand. Who has it? Who understands it? Who got it? Prodigal son. What did the daddy do when he put a ring in that hand? That ring was a signet. That was not a piece of jewelry. That was not a decoration. That was not earrings. That signet ring was a signature for the checks. That signet ring gave that young man the opportunity to buy, spend, deal in business, just like daddy would do. He said, God walked up to you after paying your debt and reached into his billfold and got out his debit card and gave it to you and said, son, from now on, if you need something, swipe the card. Uh, 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 what's, what's the balance? Uh, 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 uh. It's, it's inexhaustible. You, you'll never spend it. And God comes to us and doesn't only cancel the debt of sin, the guilt taken away, cancel it out. Look what he does. Newness of life. Go, go ye and sin no more. I'll give another illustration. So we have an account there. An account that we can draw from in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I don't know how you can do better than that. All right, it wasn't a debt, it was a crime. Second illustration. It was not a debt, it was a crime. Worse yet, maybe. And the government, the president, has the power to pardon you of the crime you've done. But you're just the same after you left pardon as you were before. The person that you murdered is still dead. You deflected from the army, from your battalion. You were scared of the battle. You took off. You were court-martialed. You could have been hung or shot before a firing squad. You were, brought, you were put into prison until that sentencing was finished. The president heard about your story and released you. You were pardoned. Abraham Lincoln did that to many people. On one occasion he said, the good this boy will do, redeemed, for our country will be far, far, worth far, far more than the damage he did by running away. Let's save this young life and encourage this young life to make a contribution to his country. He'll do far more good, redeemed, forgiven, than what he would have done damage. So I'm going to pardon him. It's an outstanding thought for someone to give. It sounds so much like Christ, it's hard to believe. It just sounds so much like how God looks at your life tonight and mine. It's just about what God sees when he looks at us. And other people see the damage we did, the wrong we are, the useless we in our lives, the problem we caused for the preachers and the mistakes we made in the home. And, and, and they're right about everything they say. But God looks at all of our crime and all of our criminology. You see, if all you were was pardoned by the president, they, they take you out of jail. You can walk down the street of that jail and you can sing this song, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And you're just as guilty as you were before. 
just to the government. It's not charging you for it, but you're the same person. You're the same inside as before. That is not how God forgives us. It's more than a pardon. It is a promise of a new heart. Lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. This is not forensic righteousness, some artificial judicial decision to, to get you off the statute books. But it's fruit unto holiness in your life. Your faith must grasp this. You're not just desiring a reduced sentence. You're looking for a holy life. And God offers you that from now on, son. There's a change in worship. Every idol I resign. The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me that idol do the throne and worship only thee. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And when we change that worship, we change it from the idol. We change it. And, this, and Simon had his idol. And that Pharisee had his idol. And addiction is an idol. Masturbation is an idol. That screen is an idol. Change that idol. Dethrone that idol. Ask God to wash out of your heart. Take that out of your life. Ask God to change your desires. Worship the Holy One. Worship the Lamb of Revelation. Worship the God of Heaven. Join the four and twenty elders. Join the four beasts. Join the numerous multitude of angels around the throne. Sea of glass, of arcoiris there, of emerald, of green, thunderings and lightnings, and the Lamb of God, and the crowns are coming before the throne, and worship Him, and sing the Hallelujah Chorus forever and ever and ever and ever. And worship the Lamb. There is healing and forgiveness. Bitterness turns into peace. I will read that to you, and then we close. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 13. And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And we can do neither one of those two with bitterness in our heart. Neither one of those two with unforgiven spirits. Neither one of those two can we have or live. If we're holding a grudge against a brother, against my father, against a neighbor, against a preacher in the church, against the, the last church situation we were in. Follow peace with all men in holiness. We can't do it. Looking diligent, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Many be defiled, the children. Many be defiled. School teachers defile their children's school with Blanted and improper attitudes towards the authorities they have in their lives, and they can't keep that from the children. The children discover it, they sense it, they feel it. It's, it sl sl slips out of the teacher's mouth in one form or another. And many are defiled. And forgiveness changes all that. We can be forgiven because we know God and His promise and His power, and we believe He will save us. And we forgive, can forgive others because we know God and trust Him and believe that He will be glorified in this Deep trauma that I cannot understand, but it will result in good because God said it would. And I know God that way, and I believe God that way. And though I've not seen the results yet, the God that I know will work this out. If my attitude is right, I humble myself. I forgive my brother. And I allow those that know what I'm like 
to forgive me. Do you know what it takes to accept forgiveness? Do you know what it takes to come up here tonight and let God wash your life free from sin? Do you know what it takes to come to God and say, I can't do it. God, forgive me. I have a mess in my life and I can't handle it. Do you know what it takes? The spirit that was in that publican. God, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm broken and I can't go on anymore. If you think, if you would think sitting here tonight that, that just putting this off and coming back to Bible school next year might take care of it. If you think if you listen enough of tapes between now and next year, it'll, it'll make a difference in your life. You're going to somehow get yourself through this. You're going to try to put a smile on your face and you're just going to try to be a little more careful what you say than what you have been. That kind of false victory and self-righteousness will take you further from God. It won't take you closer. You must bow your heart and humble yourself and recognize your need and submit to him. For without me, you can do nothing and yield to the Lord. And we, can, we can be forgiven because we know what God offers us and we know how much we need it. And we've seen just a little bit of our filthiness and there's a whole lot more of it out there. But we cannot take that with, with us any longer. We must get rid of it tonight. And we can forgive others because everything that happened against us will someday be part of a tapestry of beauty and glory. And here comes Jacob on ten wagons with his goods and his shaky staff. And here he comes pulling these carts down to Egypt. And here he comes and he stands before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, how old are you, pappy? And he gives him his age. And uh, and we, we are here because my son is down here and, and we needed some food to eat and, and they, they, they promised us a place to stay in, in Egypt and, 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 and here we are. And, and, and you boys meant it to be for bad, but God meant it for good. If we'd have that faith in God, we could forgive it easily. If we had that faith in God, we would give it up. If we had that faith in God, we'd accept the losses. If we had that faith in God, we would carry these grudges no more. We would forgive them if we believed God that way. We knew that God that Daniel knew and Stephen knew and Jesus knew. And many have known. That's the miracle of forgiveness. And I'm not saying that I can't experience more of that in my life. I'd love to experience more of it. I, I had the opportunity to find out a little bit about how that works in life. The person that doesn't need forgiveness can't forgive others either. And when I'm living in this unforgiving condition, I will not forgive the person who wronged me. Let me assure you that what we're saying to God and what we're saying to the church and what we're saying to our family is, I want all of you to know that I don't need your forgiveness either. That's the wrong statement to make about ourselves. And we don't find healing till the heart is broken. Instead of seeing everyone else's needs and what everyone else has done wrong to us, we see how greatly we need the mercy of God. And then we fall down to worship. My wife and I had an interesting experience several months ago with a phone call we received from a precious person that we dearly love. Confessing to us on the phone a very, very serious, wrong failure in life. And a couple days later on the text of my cell phone, 
there appeared these words. God have mercy on the way I have lived my life. Is there anyone here tonight that would be willing to come to God this evening and say, God have mercy on the way I've lived my life. Is there anyone who feels the need for that cleansing and that freshness and that helping hand and that renewal in the Holy Ghost? Is there anyone? God have mercy on the way I've lived my life. When you rise up in newness of life, from that con connection and encounter with God, you'll be able to forgive all those who have done injustices to your life. And I'm sorry for all those that have happened, but you don't need to take them from this Bible Institute. They can be washed down the river and put out into the sea and drowned there. And you can go free from all those burdens. And Christ can be glorified in your life. Let us pray. But dear Father, Would you forgive us and have mercy on the way we have lived our lives? Would you have mercy upon some precious soul tonight? Would you reveal yourself and your love and your care and your kindness to some precious soul tonight? Would you save someone from a life of bitterness and resentment and catastrophic consequences from carrying a burden against others that we cannot let go and we're holding it against them? And they can no longer change it. We can only forgive it. Would you help us to see, dear Father, that our forgiveness tonight depends upon the attitude we have towards ourselves and the attitude we have towards our God. And dear Father, show us yourself tonight and love us with an everlasting love. And whether there's someone wrestling, struggling at this very moment, would you send the sweet spirit of our God and wrap your arms around that dear soul and encourage them and comfort them and grant them the faith to yield it all to thee. Grant them the faith to step forward for the Lord Jesus. Grant them the grace and the faith to take your hand tonight. Would you help us? Would you save us? Would you bless us? Would you heal us tonight, O oh God, of all of our diseases and our dolencias and our, our difficulties, Father? Our hearts are bruised. Heal us tonight, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Brother Larry, I think what you should do is come front here. <coughs> Give these dear people an opportunity.